You're listening to the Holdcast with Jack Grimsey and Robert Lintott. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Holtcast. This is Robert Lintott. Jack Grimsey isn't with us this week because instead I get to sit down and talk with Carrie Dunn, who is a women's football journalist for Shoot Magazine, amongst numerous other publications, uh, a freelance journalist who does all sorts of work. And she has graciously agreed to sit down and chat with us about the state of women's football in England, the state of Aston Villa ladies, uh, as we continue our Aston Villa ladies week here at 7500 to Holt. So we'll be right back with that after this. All right, and we're back. And first off, uh, welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been a real surprise because you sort of popped up out of nowhere on our Twitter feed when we were talking about women's football every once in a while. And it's been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you about that, and amongst other things, and Aston Villa woes. So since this is an Aston Villa podcast, I'll start with the obvious question. You're a Villa fan, right? I'm not a Villa fan. <laughs> this is uh, yeah, one of the misconceptions, I think, uh, of my Twitter feed. Um, I do have an interest in Villa's uh, travails. Uh, I have two very good friends who are Villa fans, so I, I share in their woes and their pain. <laughs> and, I, just, uh, yeah. I sort of assumed you had to be a Villa fan, because why else would you follow this down for luck? <laughs> Yeah, why else would you put yourself through it? Um, well, I don't have a team of my own, and being a football writer, obviously, I just love watching football. And so my two two very good friends of mine are Villa fans. And, yeah, you can't help but be sucked into some of the drama. And I ended up kind of uh, taking against quite a few of the Villa players from, <laughs> from a few seasons back and uh, thoroughly adoring others and found myself becoming a bit of a Remy Gard fangirl. So, oh, uh, yeah, you suck him not in. Have been? <laughs> well, exactly. What's not to love about the man and his waistcoats? Yeah. Oh, I, so, listeners will not love this, but I still think Remy Gard, given proper funding, given proper chance, could have been fantastic for Villa, and I think he just got sabotaged by ownership. Uh, he oh, had problems, yeah. but I'm I'm there with you. I'm I'm a I'm on the Remy Gard bandwagon too. <laughs> Well, I felt so bad for him because he was clearly uh, under a misapprehension when he took the job in the first place. And then I think uh, he had various incidents uh, with club hierarchy and he was just getting more and more angry. And then you know, there were just times when you saw the camera switch at him during a game, just looking at his players, just thinking, what on earth are you doing? And, you know, I felt his pain because that's what I was thinking too. No. How could you not? When yeah, when you watch Villa, that's that's exactly what we were all thinking. Uh, I mean, it wasn't all sunshine and roses with him. He could not use a substitute to save his life. But no, no, that is true. But at least he picked a midfield, unlike more recent managers. Oh, <laughs> yes, it's worrisome. It's so so tiring to see that sort of problem come up again and again. Yeah. Um, and I should make it clear, well, I, I have you here primarily to talk about women's football. You don't just write about women's football, correct? No, I write about all kinds of sport, mostly football. And I do write about men's footballs as well, yes. You know, men do play mm -hmm. football too, I understand. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of like that. Uh, that should be the theme of our week. Uh, men uh, do play football too, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, when we return back to Villa, like Villa men's coverage. Um but yeah, because it's, it's one of these misconceptions that people sort of shoehorn themselves as either someone who thinks about, writes about, does, watches women's football, or someone who's primarily a men's football 
uh, thinker. And I know when they started, unusual efforts had to fight that a lot. Uh, yeah, it, it's that... exhausting. Yeah, I mean, we get it quite a lot. You get uh, people talking about football and women's football. You're like, well, no, it's the same sport. It's literally just football. Uh, if you would say men's football and women's football, that's fine. But you know, women's football isn't an entirely different sport. It's the same game, and you know, it's not like you need you know different knowledge to be able to watch or enjoy either of them. Yeah, absolutely. I and you know, I think once you've learned one, you, like you say, it's perfectly accessible to get into the other. Absolutely. Do you, so you say that's one misconception um, that you bump into. Do you find that you run into other misconceptions as a women's writer about football? Um, the thing about uh, women's football coverage in England, it's still quite a small. Uh, group of people so you tend to see the same people turning up to the big games again and again and again so it's the same people in the press rooms um i would like to see uh, more big name journalists write about women's football i think that would be great but uh, i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon unfortunately i think there's still this kind of misconception that you know it's amateurish it's a it's a little bit small time but you know what you actually see on the park it's no less committed it's no less professionally run than anything else yeah uh for my part at least on a national team level if you ask me if I have to choose between watching the U.S. men's team and the U.S. women's team, I'm going to choose the women's team every single time because oh, it is—it's yeah. more competitive. Even it's—it's it's better to watch. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, the U.S. women's team is a very, very special case, and uh, hence their current uh, bargaining agreements uh, with the uh, with the, with the U.S. soccer. I'd be interested to see what actually happens there in the end. But yeah, the the, you know, the men are not that great. They still get paid a lot more, don't they? Yeah, and it's kind of crazy. Um, and, and that sort of separation has been sort of standard in the U.S. Soccer Federation. Like, I remember two Women's World Cups ago, I wanted to get an Abby Wambach jersey. Mm. And as a man, I could not buy a U.S. women's team jersey. Uh, yeah. Which I thought was kind of hilarious. Like, they would allow me to buy a men's team jersey and customize it with Wambach, but I wanted the crest that actually had real stars yeah. on it. yeah. <laughs> No, well, yeah, and you, you get that to a slightly different degree here in England. You can, you can get um, women's fit uh, shirts for men's clubs, but they'll be kind of not like women's fit as in kind of more tailored. They just have a really, really low V-neck, and I think uh, that's uh, becoming a bit of a global phenomenon as well. It's, uh, it's, it's odd, isn't it? It's 21st century. You'd think we'd be slightly further on by now, but since we're going backwards in some ways. Yeah, it really does. Um you know, this whole week, one thing that I keep noticing is I keep bumping up against issues in trying to cover uh, women's football from afar. Like, obviously, Villa don't broadcast Villa ladies games, mm -hmm. and there's no real way for me to watch them. So my only news outlet is the reports and the Twitter feed of the club itself, mm. which is not a good way to cover a club. No. No, it's difficult and, and because obviously uh, Villa uh, are in the second division of the Women's Super League and uh, they're not going to get uh, any live matches probably um, because the the uh, big broadcasters over here are interested in kind of the Manchester Cities, uh, the Arsenals, the Chelsea's because they're the big hitters in WSL 1. Um, one of the things that we have seen actually in WSL this this season, and I wonder whether a club like Villa might take this on. They've been broadcasting games via Facebook Live, 
which has been uh, done very successfully. And I think uh, a club like Villa with decent media resources might do very well out of that if they decided to try that out with the ladies. Yeah, I entirely agree. And and that's that to me is one of the most frustrating aspects of this is they aren't locked. You know, it's obvious why they can't do Facebook Live or their own video streaming of the men's side because mm. of rights deals and whatnot. But they're not locked into any such deal on the women's side. So why not stream every game? Why not bring a camera to every game and stream it? It boggles the mind that they don't do that. Oh, I should say that I've covered uh, several Villa Ladies games this season, and it's not like they've got a media team coming with them. It's it, it's a very small kind of entourage. I don't think you could even call it an entourage. You're getting <laughs> maybe one or two people coming to handle everything with them, all the back all the backstage stuff. So they would probably need some more staff on hand were they to do that. But, you know, something like this weekend at Villa Park would be seem to be an ideal place to try that out, wouldn't it, when you've got everything already in situ? Exactly. And I'm, I, I haven't heard any plans for coverage, and it makes me worried that they're not going to broadcast this match, which seems to me to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, even if they did, you know, audio commentary, that would be better than nothing, wouldn't it? But, uh, yeah, I think if people make enough of a fuss, show there's enough of a, of a demand out there, then, you know, the club the club will do it. So I guess uh, if anyone does want to see these matches or listen to radio commentary, tweet tweet the club, tweet Dr. Tony, tell them that this is what you want because, you know, they're only going to listen to actual fans and their actual demands. They're not going to listen to the likes of me complaining about it on Twitter because I complain about the media coverage of women's football too often. But if actual fans who might be potential customers uh, start to make demands, then that might twist their arm. I'm afraid that I've pigeonholed myself as a nuisance to the club when it comes to <laughs> women's coverage. So, uh, they may not listen to me, but you're absolutely right. We should be, you know, don't tweet at Dr. Tony about your shirt not being correct or getting the wrong order from the Villa team store. Tweet about stuff like this, stuff that he can actually influence and stuff that actually matters. Yeah, absolutely. And he does seem to be quite uh, quite amenable in terms of listening to Twitter queries and listening to action stuff. And this would be doable. I mean, obviously, this is the end of the WSL season. But if this game goes well this weekend, they, we've got the uh, Spring Series, which is a, a short round-robin competition coming up in the spring. And, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't you know, try something out there. And so, yeah, just, just make demands and see what they say. They can only say no, can't they? <laughs> Absolutely. I've been on the receiving end of that no a few times. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a good point. It's, and you do say it would be fairly easy. It's, you know, you think about what would it cost to bring one extra person to a match with a video camera. And then you think of what we're paying Alan Hutton every week. <laughs> you send Alan Hutton with his iPhone, get him to film oh. it. There we go. Sorted. <laughs> That will be the time when I finally love Alan Hutton. <laughs> That's all it takes. Um, so before we get too deep into this, you're talking about the fact that we're in the Villa ladies are in women's super league two. And yes. People are more concerned with women's super league one. Mm. Both of these are fairly recent developments. And yeah. So what is the structure of women's football in England right now? Okay. Well, if I give you a little bit of a kind of history, I suppose, um, so up until uh, five years ago, uh, there was no kind of uh, proper professional uh, game in England for women. 
Uh, up until uh, 1971, the, um, the game was actually banned completely for women in England. There was a literal FA ban which ran from 1921 uh, up to the 1970s. Um, the FA officially took control of the game uh, in the 70s, um, but they didn't really start to really organise it and take proper control over it until 1993. And then they didn't actually get a league together that was professional until 2011. So they started up the uh, FA Women's Super League then. Uh, it was a small closed league, so no promotion, no relegation, just uh, these sides that were, going, that were playing a short summer season. Uh, they had a salary cap. They had an even spread of uh, England players. And so the idea was to have something that was a decent competition because what had happened previously was the likes of Arsenal and before that Doncaster Bells were just dominating the game because all the best players went there. There's nothing they could do to stop it. Yeah. Um, so that went well. It all was very successful. And what they started to do was to expand it. So they brought in uh, WSL2, the uh, second division, uh, two years ago. And the way that uh, WSL clubs are, uh, what's the best way to put this, shared out, they do this by licensing. So every club has to apply for a license to play in the WSL uh, every three or four years. So basically you have to send an application form, no matter where you finish the season before, you have to kind of send in your budget and your marketing plan, all that kind of stuff. And then they share you out according to how good your application was. So Villa got put into WSL2, which is obviously fantastic for them. And WSL2 is essentially, well, mostly a semi-professional league. Uh, there are some at the top end that are more or less professional now. But Villa ladies, uh, mostly part-time. Uh, these, are, these are girls that have been uh, balancing football and a proper job for, for a very long time. And they're looking to push towards the full-time professional uh, version of the game. Yeah, we talked to uh, manager Joe Hunt this week, and mm. he said on average he gets about six hours with his players a week. Yeah, um, sounds about right. From what two, I could tell, I think points. that didn't include matches. I think he got six hours plus a match. Yeah, I think uh, that that would make sense. It should. It's normally about two evenings a week they get to train together. Yeah, which, I mean, if you stop and think about it, is crazy. A six-hour day would not be completely ludicrous uh, for Aston Villa men to have no. as a single training day. No. Uh, you know, six hours would be a lot, but it wouldn't be crazy to hear that they had a six-hour day of training and then do that five days a week or something like that. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things, I think, is that you'll find watching a WSL2 uh, squad train is that they train uh, perhaps more efficiently than their male counterparts, actually. So they haven't got kind of the kind of... Uh, time to sit around and chat once you're there at training you start right from that first minute there's no kind of easing you into it you've got to be on on the ball straight away and you've got to use mm -hmm. that time as wisely as possible because you have only got those three hours in that evening to to get your training session in yeah it sort of reminds me of like high school sports here in the united states you you know that you've got two hours that you can spend with these 16 year olds and so you actually have to make use of it yes absolutely um, and so this strikes me as just incredible that they're able to play a nearly professional level of football with so little training. Um, what generally goes into it for players off the pitch? Are they training? Are they spending their time working usually? Yeah, I mean, most of them will be either studying or they'll be you know, balancing it with, with, with a very understanding job. Uh, quite often you'll find that uh, players in WSL2 might be working for uh, 
be equivalent men's clubs. So they might be working as a community coach or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge balancing act for, for players below WSL1. It's, it's, it's a really difficult, really difficult life. And I think these, are, these women deserve more credit than, than they actually get quite a lot of the time. Yeah, it's, it, that to me, I think, was the single most striking thing that I've learned this week, is how little time they actually get and they still have to put on a professional quality football match. Um, mm. It raises a question, though. Um, because I know that promotion, even if you finish in the top two spots, is not guaranteed. That's it's right. On finances and whatnot. So is it because it seems to me if you're paying players for a semi-professional part-time job and then you bump up to full-time professional, which it seems that all of the WSL one teams are. Yeah. That's going to be, you know, you're looking at maybe quintupling your costs, if not more. You're absolutely right. Um, yes, it would be a, a huge financial cost to take on. Um, and the same thing actually happens from the feeder league into WSL2. Um, again, they're amateur part-time players. And when they're going semi-professional and have to stick to the FA's rules and regulations and apply for this license, their costs I believe um, Sheffield told me when they got promoted last year uh, that their costs actually uh, – increase fivefold, five times the amount they were paying in the Women's Premier League for all their costs. So, yeah, it's it's not an insubstantial amount they have to fork out. And and usually these clubs are tied to a sponsor, like men's club, that's doing a lot of the funding. It's, it, obviously with Aston Villa, it's the Aston Villa men. Um, but not all of them are, correct? Aren't some of these women's clubs independent? Yep, some of them are independent. Um, so we've got uh, Durham in WSL two who who are, who are standalone. Um, mm -hmm. There there is the Sheffield and Sheffield are really interesting actually because they're uh, qu quintessentially they're a, a very grassroots kind of football club. The men's team you know play you know a long way down the pyramid in England, and so mm -hmm. the women's team are much further ahead in that in that march towards professionalisation. So it's the women that are trailblazers there. But yes, you're right. Um, mostly it is dependent on uh, affiliating to a men's club. That's been something that the FA have encouraged. It's something that I'm reasonably skeptical about because a women's team is never going to be the priority for a men's club. And we've seen several times over kind of the past 20 years, uh, as soon as men's teams or get relegated when the, or the club needs to cut costs, the first things they'll slash is the uh, women's team or the girls' centre of excellence because that's an easy saving. They don't see it as a priority. And, of course, um, there's different levels of finance that these men's clubs have available. So the likes of Man City, obviously they've got millions and they've got the facilities that they can share with the women's team. And then you've got, let's say, uh, Yeovil up, up at the top at WSL2. They get to use Hoish Park, which is fantastic, but they haven't quite got the same uh, money available as, let's say, a Man City or an Arsenal or a Chelsea. Have the FA done anything? Because this, I mean, there's an obvious financial disadvantage here. And, in, and you know, there's, like you say, men's teams will never prioritize women's teams. Mm. Um so have the FA done anything for a case like a Sheffield or a Durham who don't have that sort of financial backing of a major men's club? Have they done anything to help ease that burden so that they can continue to play at a high level? Um, I'm going to choose my words carefully. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, when they uh, first launched the Super League, they were very, very uh, deliberate in 
the rules and regulations they set out. So they had this salary cap, for example. So um, they were only allowed to pay a certain number of players in each squad this maximum amount of salary. It was not a very uh, big big number that they were getting paid and they mm-hmm. were only able to pay uh, a certain amount of uh, players in their squads they had small squad sizes as well so they were being very careful about this sustainability um, about ensuring competition um, I would argue that over the past couple of years I think the FA have run a little bit ahead of themselves without necessarily making sure that everything is is as on as firm a foundation as one might wish uh, from the top of WSL 1 down to the bottom of WSL 2. I think uh, it's easy to get distracted by, you know, the shininess and the glamour of what happens at Man City, you know, having their own stadium at the, at the Etihad campus or, you know, being able to play the FA Cup final at Wembley. And that's great. And that's, you know, a showpiece event. And this is fantastic. And it's brilliant for women's football. But I do think there needs to be more attention paid to the way that WSL2 is operating and to make sure that things are running as viably as possible. Um, the FA does have what they call, I believe they call it a development fund. So they give a certain amount of money to every club in the WSL structure to make sure they're meeting all the criteria that they need for WSL membership. But I believe I'm right in saying that WSL1 clubs actually get slightly more than WSL2 clubs <laughs> because the targets are harder. Mm-hmm. But and you can kind of see that logic, but in another way, you just kind of think, yeah, maybe that's slightly about face. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we don't need the FA giving money to Manchester City. I think they've got yeah. enough. Yeah, maybe, and, I mean, maybe. So you just think of it, you know. I obviously don't have the hard numbers, but you have to imagine that something like the entire Aston Villa ladies' budget would not even register on the Manchester City no. Corporation finances. No, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't at all. And I know that the FA appointed the new head of women's football this year, uh, Baroness Sue Campbell, uh, who is a very experienced sports administrator. And she's come in to look at the WSL structure and come up with a strategic vision for the future. And I imagine that gets published in the next few months. And I would also expect that would be extremely worth looking out for because I've spoken to Baroness Campbell and she doesn't pull her punches. I think she'll have some uh, pretty good ideas about the way forward. And I think she'll be very honest about it, too. So that would be quite an exciting time. I'm eager to see this then. Um, Not to get too far afield of the Aston Villa ladies, but uh, one thing that really struck me was in the 2015 World Cup, the England team was Mm. exceptional, incredibly talented, incredibly fun to watch. Um, Mm. I found myself cheering for them, despite the fact that it, you know, made me sick a little bit because (laughs) got to support the US, but they were a blast to watch and they were up on the level, you know, if only for that tournament, they felt like they were up on a level with a Sweden or a Brazil or a United States. Um, how have the FA fostered this? Because in the United States, we know that the U.S. Soccer Federation picks up salaries for a lot of our players in our professional mm-hmm. league. Um, how have the FA gone about developing their women's team? Because if you ask me, their women's team had more success than their men's team, and they've shown such bad skill at developing that. Yeah. Um, what are they it, doing right, or are yeah. they? Are they just getting lucky? <laughs> um, well, actually, the WSL was 
you know, intended to improve the England team. It's, it's quite funny, really, because that's actually what they said about the Premier League when it was launched back in 1992, that it was going to improve the men's England team. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. But um, <laughs> it's working much better with the women. So if you look at the um, fixture schedule for WSL, I mean, it is slightly ludicrous because there are lots of gaps for international breaks, etc., etc. But uh, they are quite sizable international breaks because they schedule in time for the England squad to get together, to train together, you know, to spend time together and just kind of get that squad atmosphere going uh, so that the coaches can see how the players are getting on. And of course, you've got the fixtures as well. Um, They've also got the uh, junior age groups training at the same place with the seniors as well. So it's more of a seamless transition, you know, stepping up from the under 23s into the seniors as well, which I think is quite a good thing. And the coaches seem to be collaborating uh, quite closely and, you know, talking about uh, the progress of players. So it seems to be a fairly joined up approach to uh, the the England team. And it does seem to be paying off, although uh, I have to say recent performances haven't been brilliant, but the results have been okay. So, you know, I guess we'll take that rather than having good performances and, and poor results. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just remember during that last World Cup being really excited every time I got to watch England play. Um, cause they, they were a team that went out there and just seemed to be playing above their heads and just playing beautiful football in yeah. the process of it. Yeah. Um, they had, they had a fantastic summer. They really did. I mean, they got progressively better through the tournament and it actually got to a point where actually watching that final, I couldn't help but think we might have given the USA a, more of a game than, than Japan managed, but, uh, you know, that's all hypothetical, but yeah. yeah. No, it's it was tough not to think that, especially the way Japan just sort of rolled over in that match. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't think England would have done that. I really don't. I I don't think so either. I think they had so much momentum headed into the you know the late stages of that. Um, so you talked about the youth setup for the England team, and mm. that allows me to make a nice little full circle uh, back to people like Sarah Mailing and Alicia Endow, who are playing mm. with the England U twenties right now. Yeah. Um, what a just in my head, especially now that I know how relatively small time WSL two is. Mm. What a whirlwind to go from a semi professional league where you're meeting for a few hours a week to suddenly playing against Brazil in international tournaments. Oh goodness, I I, I can't even imagine. I mean, but when I talk to these girls, and they they do seem a little bit kind of almost like shell shocked by it. I mean, they're obviously loving it, but it's you know it, it's a huge deal. I remember talking to. Grace Smith, um, just before they went out uh, for the under 17s uh, uh, earlier in the summer. And she was just like, <laughs> she, she was obviously really excited. And I was saying, you know, what was it like going through the qualification process? And she was saying that she was doing her um, AS levels, so you know, her, her, ex- her school exams. So she's, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's 17, doing her school exams with the rest of her team in the British Embassy. Of, <laughs> she's away on England duty because wow. they're away during the summer <laughs> playing for England. <laughs> and, you know, it's incredible. And, you know, how level headed they all are to deal with this as well and how focused they are on their football. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't begin to imagine how difficult it must be for the England coaches to, to, to manage that excitement. But uh, they do seem like a, a very level hunter. Level-headed bunch of girls. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible to me, and that level-headedness really comes across, you know, in the few interactions I've gotten to have via social media or via a couple of emails and whatnot. With almost, not with almost, with every single Villa Ladies player that I've gotten to talk to, eminently yeah. approachable, 
wonderfully warm-hearted, uh, just good all-around individuals. Uh, oh, which yeah. is an absolute treat after you watch the way some of the men behave. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I I don't want to hold it up as oh well, it's because they're women or something like that. It's because that's obviously not it. No, it's it's not. I mean, and I think I think you're right. <laughs> sorry, and I think. Boys. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I think you're right to point that out because that is something that I think. Kind of gets brought up a lot, you know, you know. Women behave better. There's not so much cheating. Women are more honest. There's not so much diving. They don't get so cross. It's just, a, you know, they play for the love of the game. Blah blah blah. And it's like, well, yeah, they do. They do play for the love of the game. They're not playing, playing, playing for the money, obviously. But I mean, I, I would hope that you would get that, whether that was men or women pe- uh, playing at this level, because obviously they play, they play for the love of the game. Because you wouldn't, you know, why else would you do it? But. uh yeah, um, the, the villain ladies that, that I've met and interviewed and that I've rung up and badgered for quotes have been absolutely lovely. I mean, your Beth Merrick interview earlier in the week, like I said on Twitter, it actually made me cry just reading what she said. So, you know, she, yeah, such a nice you're, girl. You're I got, I, uh, I've been talking to Emily Lyles at AVFC. Oh, yeah. With the media contact, and we did the interview through her, and she sent me back the, the document with, Beth's answers, and yeah, I nearly teared up too. It was, you know, the chance for her to be a role model for people, and she so obviously loves that opportunity. Mm. Just mm. absolutely incredible. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, it is lovely to see people appreciating the chances they've been given. I think perhaps that's maybe the difference between uh, some of the players that we see in WSL and uh, perhaps their male equivalents, because, you know, these, these are people who never thought they'd get to play even semi-professionally. So to have the chance of potentially playing professionally at some point in the future is just incredible to them, and, and they're really grateful for that chance. Yeah, absolutely. Um so this Villa team mm. has been a bit up and down. Uh, they're pretty comfortably middle of the pack in WSL2, and that's where they sort of have been lately. What what have they done, and what do they need to keep doing to improve and maybe challenge for promotion? Joe Hunt thinks they should challenge for promotion next season. Um, I think that would be... I think that would be an optimistic target, but I think it's a good target to have. Um, I think the problem with the way that things are now with promotion and relegation, I suspect we're going to get quite a lot of yo-yoing teams um, with a reasonable amount of finance behind them. And so I think we're going to see the same few teams going up and going down, but there's no reason that uh, Villa shouldn't be certainly up there, up there and pressing. Um, I think uh, they've made some very sensible uh, loan signings this season. Uh, having Grace Maloney on hand has been fantastic for them. Um, and, uh, yeah, from what I've seen of Villa, they're they're, they're good on the ball. Um, they, they score some fantastic goals. And uh, yeah, do they ever? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You get to see some of those highlights when they actually do have a camera at them, and it's just they're scoring some absolutely beautiful team goals and individual goals. Yeah, and I think that's. I think that shows almost uh, the the value of some of the training that they do because they focus on getting these little things uh, so right. They know what they want to pull off in the game. And obviously they have to do quite a lot of individual training as well. So some of that uh, individual skill, you have to hone it by yourself rather than uh, when you're on the training ground. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, 
you see the work that they put in when they tweet about it and whatnot. And, and I hate to keep basing all of my assumptions off of Twitter, but really that's the only glimpse we have into these lives. And you see mm-hmm. so much work that goes into it. And, you know, with Beth spending so much time doing team-related stuff, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's it's going out when the new kid arrives, being one of the models for the new kid, or going out on public appearances for Aston Villa, um, the amount of work that they put in is just incredible, especially considering that they're also living their lives. We keep coming back to that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, but I think it's fair, though. I mean, when you see things like, you know, they're supporting a local literacy project or something, or they've gone to a local club's uh, prize-giving to give, you know, trophies to the kids or whatever, and I think the the players tend to see that as as a huge privilege rather than something that's, you know, impinging on their lives. That they're 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 really excited that they're getting the chance to be put in this position. That they, oh, I hate to use the cliche role models, but but they they really enjoy that. They welcome it, which I think is lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get to the nitty gritty of this a little bit more. Sunday, Villa Park against mm. Watford. Yeah. Um, what do you know about Watford, and what should we know about Watford heading into this match? Okay, uh, Watford have not had a good season. Um, I think, I don't know, um, again, how best to phrase this. Villa um, should be expecting a, a very decent home win here. There should be plenty of goals uh, on show. Um, Watford have been very, very poor all season. They've had quite a lot of upheaval. Um, they've had a, a very patchy team, inconsistent team, and I suspect and the consistency of Villa and their strong team ethic, as well as uh, their fantastic individual skill, is going to... I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a good four or five goals on Sunday, to be honest. Boy, I hope you're right. That would be fantastic to see. Um, well, or not see. Or <laughs> not see, yeah, that's true. Although we've, we've got two of our writers going. James and Ellis are going to be there. So uh, I know we'll have at least two people that will get to see those goals. Well, can we not tweet Alan Hutton and tell him about Media's iPhone? Need him to come <laughs> along? I wonder if we can get James to put it on Facebook Live for us. Yeah, why not? It's you know only infringing copyright. It's fine. <laughs> I, I can see the team being very upset and somehow finding a way to pin it back on me. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, no, I shouldn't have James do that. Is there anyone on Watford the Villa should be wary of? Like any certain standout stars? Um, let's think. Um, let's say the Watford team this season has been, you know, so, so uh, dreadfully inconsistent. They've been, uh, I have to check their goal difference. I'm just going to look that up while I'm talking to you. Um, mm-hmm. Their goal difference this season has been really, really poor. Um I know that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But um, they play, actually play out at Berkhamsted, which is not actually that near Watford. And it's a really difficult pitch to play on too. obviously not making excuses for them. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily um, fantastic. Uh, if you're kind of training somewhere that's relatively decent, then you're playing on something that's basically a bog. But, uh, you know, in t- it's a, yeah, minus, minus 36, minus oh, 36. <laughs> yeah. So uh, is, is there a chance they're going to be relegated? That kind of depends on what happens um, with the licensing and what uh, the FA decide to do. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of all up in the air, to be honest. 
But um, right, yeah, a record of two one and fourteen is is not what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I feel bad for them. I really do. But I mean, I think uh, their top scorers are all kind of on 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 three apiece, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them have got kind of further than that. I know they're looking for a new first team coach. Um, I've been fairly impressed with a couple of them that I've seen. Ellie Mason was pretty good earlier in the season, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. as I say, they've been the way that the WSL is. Uh, so kind of London centric almost you see quite a lot of good players leaving unsuccessful teams and going to slightly more more organized ones so quite a lot of the decent Watford players went off to London Bees or to Millwall which is just kind of a couple of miles down the road so I feel a bit bad for them really because obviously there's this uh, big big event and they're kind of being invited as the whipping girls to kind of <laughs> round off a really awful season for them but um oh. Yeah. <laughs> if they had to play a 38-match uh, schedule, they would be on pace for 16 points. So they are basically last year's Aston Villa. They are basically last year's Aston Villa. Although I don't think they even have a coach at the moment. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. We ended the season with Eric Black last year. So oh, yeah. Well, no, you had, you had, you had load of co- loads of coaches just in succession. <laughs> Um, and what about on Aston Villa? I mean, to my mind, the names that come to mind are Sarah, Beth, Katie Wilkinson. Um, but as an outside observer, someone who's not just following these folks on Twitter and whatnot, who stands out to you from this Aston Villa squad? Oh, then they might listen to this and then that will kind of compromise Uh-oh. my impartiality. Okay. But, um, well, you don't have the answer. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I mean, I think I, I would agree with that. Um, obviously, as I mentioned before, Grace Maloney earlier in the season mm-hmm. before she went back to Reading after her loan period ended, I think she, uh, she made a huge difference. But, it's such a great team achievement as well. They they play as a proper team, and yes, you get the likes of Beth and Sarah kind of uh, getting the getting the uh, headlines with with their with their goals and their kind of uh, showcase almost for for their individual talent. But I'm sure they'll be the first to say that it's whatever they achieve this this year has been a complete team achievement. But uh, yeah. There are there are some some good players in that in that Villa squad. So I think if um, Joe Hunt can add some add a couple more, I think to that maybe he does want to look at getting uh, Grace Maloney back. I know that she kind of hinted that she'll be interested in coming back full time. Then uh, see what happens next year. That would be fantastic because you're absolutely right. What she was doing for the team was fantastic earlier this season. Yeah, she was an interesting one because I spoke to her just before her loan period uh, ended, and she was saying that uh, she was saying her dad was driving her up uh, from from Berkshire to, to up to Birmingham, and uh, she, basically she was saying that uh, she knew that she was third choice goalkeeper for the, for Ireland her, uh, national team, and. She wasn't playing at Reading. The second choice wasn't playing. And then Emma Byrne wasn't playing at Arsenal. And she said she was sitting there in Reading and thinking, well, one of us has got to get some minutes. So she decided to go out on loan, which I think was a really brave choice. And, uh, yeah, she made a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do. I, I didn't realize she was considering coming back. That would be fantastic news for the club. Well, well, I said to her, well, it might have been a diplomatic answer, obviously. I'm not saying she's about to sign, <laughs> but I said, would, you, would it be something that you would consider? And she said, you know, I would consider, you know, any any offer that that, that was made of that I would think about. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Oh, I do hope Villa actually do something then, because uh, that would be really good news. 
Um, and how about playing in Villa Park? Is that going to be a huge thing or after some of the stuff that they've gotten to do, like playing uh, in FA Cup quarterfinals, playing in Italy earlier this season, will Villa Park be sort of not bog standard, but at least not daunting? I think it'll be, I don't think it'll be daunting. I think, I think they'll be excited. I mean, it's a huge vote of confidence from the club uh, to, to, you know, invite the ladies to play there, which I think is fantastic. And I just think they're going to really relish the occasion. And, you know, in, in a kind of secret way, I feel quite pleased for Watford as well, to be honest. They've had a rotten season and to kind of go out being able to play at Villa Park, which is, you know, a fantastic ground, um, will be nice for them just to cap off a, a, a dreadful year. Yeah, I I hope it's, you know, I hope they get crushed, but I hope they get crushed in a way that doesn't crush their souls. Yes, crushed in a nice <laughs> way. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like we're talking about like Birmingham ladies or something in which I would want them, you know, fiery sadness or something along those lines. Uh, I'm, I'm not above disliking Birmingham at any level. Um, but yeah, well, I cannot tell you enough how much I appreciate you joining us today. Um, this has been a real treat. Oh, well, thank you very much for asking me. Um, I always like to talk about women's football and yeah, you know, I've been, I've been really, and uh, this sounds really corny, but really touched to watch the progress of Villa and their squad this season. They've been a fantastic bunch of girls to watch and to talk to. So I'm really pleased to get this opportunity and I'm so glad that you guys are taking the interest in what they do. Uh, we're we're gonna keep trying as much as we can. I've I've spent years trying to do this. So again, I, I will repeat my shout out that I do every time we talk about this. If anyone listening wants to go to Villa matches and write about it, we will pay for your season ticket to go watch the Villa ladies. That's how much we want someone to write about them all the time. Um, but yeah, this is just an absolute treat to have you on. Where can people follow you online? Because even if you're not talking about Villa, you are absolutely worth following. <laughs> Uh, not for the easily offended, but you can follow me on Twitter at Carrie Sparkle, C-A-R-R-I-E Sparkle. And yes, um, it's an odd mix of women's football, professional wrestling and British politics. So, yeah, <laughs> join in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like this was the account that James was born to follow, given his interest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you so much for joining us here. All right, we're back on the 7500 to Holt Holt cast, and I am joined now by Aston Villa ladies player Katie Wilkinson, who has graciously decided to stay up late and chat with us a little bit. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Katie. Hi. <laughs> so glad to have you here. So glad to actually finally get to talk to you after talking on Twitter for so long, too. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's good to get the support from you guys. So anything that we can kind of do to help is, is you know... We, we more than appreciate it. So anything that we can do is, is obviously good for you guys. One of the things uh, I wanted to ask about, and, and we'll just get this right out of the way, is uh, even though you're not going to get the chance to be on the pitch, what is it like for the ladies squad knowing that you guys get to play in Villa Park on Sunday? It's massive. Um, you know, Villa Park in itself a massive stadium for any men's player to play in. So for, for us ladies to play at Villa Park, you know, that carpet is is massive. And I know that they're all excited. I know that they're all quite nervous still, but um, it's a massive step in the right direction, not only for us as a team, but in general for women's football to be able to play at grounds like that. Um, and it's something that I think the whole team, mem you know, the members of staff included, will kind of cherish for 
for a long time. So definitely a, a massive, massive, almost an achievement for us, really. But um, something that I'm sure everybody's looking forward to. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, when I just spoke with Kerry, we talked about the fact that it's sort of silly because there really is no difference between men's football and women's football. And yet in so many people's minds, there is. And you just mentioned it, that it's an achievement for both the team and women's football to get to play in Villa Park. Does it ever get tiring having to shoulder that burden of representing women's football? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's tiring. You know, we... We've grown up in this environment where, um, you know, we might not get as much support in terms of people turning up to games. And, um, you know, it's we, we've grown up with it being nothing like the men's team teams get or the, the men's game is. So anything like what we, we've we been able to, to have on, on Sunday playing at Villa Park is massive for us. And I think, obviously, us kind of getting glimpses of stuff like that makes us appreciate it even more. Um and every single one of us at, at Aston Villa, we, you know, we put in as much effort as what the men might do. But, you know, we appreciate it, you know, a lot because we get given the opportunity to play for a club that we love. And, you know, there's nothing more that we want than to do that. So for us, you know, we're grateful for the opportunity and hopeful that we can just kind of be successful with that. I spoke with Joe Hunt, the manager, and he said that the support uh, from Dr. Tony Gia and the rest of the new staff has been incredible. Have you felt that as a player in the transition? Yeah, I mean, the difference that has kind of, um, since obviously the, the new chairman's come in, has, has been already quite big, although he's not even, you know, he's not been here that long. The difference has been has been quite big already. You know, he's he allowed the team to travel to Italy. Um the chance obviously to play at Villa Park, um and, and other factors that he's also kind of agreed with as well, which uh we've got to look forward to. Um so, you know, there's he's he's definitely made changes already and obviously we're more than grateful for that and hopefully we can um, reward him with you know positive performances and, and winning games so we've sort of danced around this I said you won't get the chance to play and you talked about the team getting to fly to Italy but you haven't had the chance to play since this summer what happened um so I think it was about middle of July end of July um I was in training uh went up for a header with one of the girls got a little bit um knocked off balance um I landed on the outside of my right foot um, as I landed, the girl kind of landed on my foot as it was already landed awkwardly. Um, and it kind of flipped so far that way that when it came back the other way, it flipped back and snapped that way as well. So I ended up snapping five ligaments in my foot, um, two on the outside, two on the inside, one on top. Um, so it's a pretty severe injury, very painful. Um, it's probably been about I think it's three and a half months, four months at the minute. Um so it's been a bit, well, I say a bit, it's been very, very frustrating. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just got to kind of do what I can in terms of training, upper body and stuff like that, and just hopefully wait for it to recover as much, well, as quick as it can, um, and then go from there. And what do they think the deadline is? When are we going to see you scoring goals again? Um, at the minute, that's a little bit unknown. Um just because of the severity of the injury, it's something that doesn't happen very often in terms of snapping the outside, the inside and on top. Um, 
So in terms of when you'll see me again, I'm not 100% sure. Um, my personal aim is for next September, which seems a very long time away. Probably for you guys hearing that is probably sounds like a very long time. For me, it seems like a very, very, very long time. Um, but it's something I knew when I did it um, in my head. I knew it would be a long time before I was playing again. So I kind of got my head around that. Um, as I did it, um, within the first few days, I knew exactly what I was, I was going to be in for. Um, so yeah, it's just a case of, um, just bearing with the physios. I mean, I've, I don't know how they put up with me cause I get very frustrated, obviously going from playing football nearly every day to, to nothing at all. Um, I'm sure I'm a, a delight to be around sometimes, um, <laughs> But, you know, they've stuck in with me. They've been really helpful. They've supported me. Um, they've given me motivation when sometimes I've struggled. But, you know, uh, I was speaking to, um, obviously, Carrie before. Um, she, you know, she questioned, you know, what it was like and how I'm feeling and stuff. But at the end of the day, um, um, you know, it, I've got to look forward. Otherwise, you know, there's not going to be um any positive kind of there's not going to be an end goal if you know what I mean I'm not gonna if I if you know if I want to get back fit I need to stay positive throughout and and use September as a motivation a new season um try and get as fit as possible and hopefully come back flying so I hope that's as quick as possible and it's it's sort of I mean to be expected that you would be frustrated and you know you said you don't know how the physios put up with you, but as someone who only gets to see you through Twitter and Instagram and, and the social media interactions, it's hard to believe that you're frustrated. You're constantly a positive, cheering presence for the Villa ladies. Uh, how do you manage to keep up that, that team-oriented attitude when you're going through so much uh, hell? Um, I mean... <laughs> Around the girls, obviously, you know, if I'm moping about and showing frustration that I'm I'm not playing, I mean, I don't, you know, it's I want to impact them positively. I want to be encouraging them. I want to get behind them. So in and around the girls, I'm always trying to be positive, um, have a giggle with them, make them laugh. Um, but you know, I've I've gone to the majority of of the games this season. Um, even when I've been injured, obviously, I've travelled travelled to Millwall recently. Um, and the fight that they obviously showed to get that draw in the end was very good. Um, but, I mean, it's like I said, you know, if if I was moping about and and kind of not doing a lot with myself while I was injured, you know, it's, it wouldn't kind of set myself very well for when I wanted to come back. You know, my I'm trying to keep as fit as possible. I'm still training three or four times a week with the physios and doing, you know, upper body work, trying to keep my conditioning in. Um, and obviously, you know, there's, there's no room for just being negative all the time. You, you know, it doesn't help anything, does it? What does it achieve? So I may as well just try and, you know, be positive, um, look forward to hopefully when I'm, when I'm not injured and then see where it takes me. But like I said, you know, I want to really come back flying. Like I want to get myself ready. I want to get myself fit. The fittest I've been, you know, having time out makes you realise how much you appreciate it when you've got it. So, 
I think that's been more evident for me now and it's make, making me want to kind of get involved more so and get myself really fit, really playing well um, and scoring more goals. You know, this injury is obviously miserable, but it does provide us with a unique opportunity in which you know this squad as well as anyone else and you've been sort of as an outside observer for a lot of the matches this year. Yeah. Uh, give us a scouting report going into Watford. If if you were telling Watford what they have to prepare for against Villa, what are you going to say? Um, a lot of fight. Um, not in terms of obviously fist fighting. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to be doing that. <laughs> um, but just, you know, fighting for results, tackles, flying in. I mean, Maddie Kuzak in the middle, she's the one that, you know, is putting challenges in there. Um, Jade and Alicia, centre-backs, great relationship at the back, can, you know, encourage each other, but can also kind of go, what are you doing? Like, fix up or whatever like that. You know, they've got that relationship where they can be honest with each other. Um, they work very well with each other. They're very solid at the back. Um, you've got Hannah, left-back. She can't stop scoring sometimes, so... She's a threat defensively and obviously attacking. Um, you've got Beth Merrick, who's on form, scoring, set pieces, um, always a threat. Um, you know, she's she's really stepped up with the goals this season as well, so hopefully she can get one at Villa Park. Um, Tash up top, she's been, you know, she's brought a bit of speed up top something that I sometimes lack even though they call me pacey sarcastically um <laughs> but you know she she brings a different dimension to the team and and she's done really well since coming in all right one of the other questions I have for you is I see you tweeting a lot about Aston Villa in general uh and I know you've been with the ladies club for a number of years were you born and raised a Villa fan yeah so my dad um, was a massive Villa fan growing up through his childhood. Um, and the first football top he bought me was a Villa top. Um, my big brother, I don't know how he managed it, but he ended up as a Man United fan. Um, <laughs> so I had him kind of trying to tempt me to be a Man United fan, which I think at one stage I might have been, because he was kind of, as an older brother, um, he was somebody that I looked up to a lot. Um so I think at one point I did have a bit of a um have a bit of a stage of being a United fan, but also still obviously being a Villa fan because I didn't think my dad would have had it any other way. <laughs> um, but in the end, I chose Villa. Um, probably would have been a little bit less painful if I'd have chose Man United. Um, <laughs> but definitely been Villa through and through since I was young. I had a season ticket growing up when I was about six or seven, went to every home game. Um, and then eventually when my dad stopped going, which was disappointing for me because I liked going down with him. But um, when he stopped going, that was my birthday present every year to have a season ticket with my best friend. Um and then when I got employed by the club as a coach when I was um, I was about 18, 17, 18, um, I'd get a season ticket through um, through the club anyway as part of being employed. Um, so I'll go down every home game whenever I can. Wow. Uh, so as a lifelong Villa fan, uh, with a brief interlude of going to the dark side there, um, <laughs> as a lifelong, what's it like pulling on the Villa kit? Um it's it's you know it's been become a habit for me obviously because I've been there for so long so um you know 
it, honestly, you know, when I went to Blues, thanks for mentioning that, by the way, um, it just <laughs> it just didn't feel as special. You know, I'd, I'd, I enjoyed my time at Blues. It wasn't anything like being at, at Aston Villa, obviously, um, and it's nothing against them, but just putting on that Villa type of club that I've obviously supported since I was little, um, played for for such a long time, loved to bits, to be fair, you know, Going to going to the games, working for them, playing for them. I couldn't have it any other way, to be fair. So putting on the top every week, it's just it's a great feeling and one that I hope happens and I get that opportunity for for years to come. Yeah, it's. I mean, I just can't imagine your your favorite team growing up and you eventually get to play for them. Uh, it's just incomprehensible, really. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you know, it definitely is. You know, growing up through the centre of excellence, you know, I had I had Joe Hunt as my manager through through my youth years as well. Um, so I've known Joe a really long time. Um, so you know, it's just it's a big family, really, and it's such a nice feeling to be a part of it. And now that the you know the the club are getting behind us even more. You know it's a sense of pride about it. You know all the hard work that we've put in over the years is finally coming to to show for something. And I just hope that over the next couple of seasons we can try and really push for that promotion. I know we've been quite far off it this season and we've got a lot to to improve. Um, but you know we put our heads together and with a bit of backing from the club we can hopefully put something together to get us into WSL one. Yeah, I. I think that's a definite possibility and joe obviously does too he said in our interview that he expects you to challenge for promotion next season yeah i mean the quality that we've got within our team i think we should be you know we've got some really good young players um and you know the backing of the club as well um with those quality players and kind of maybe a few improvements from mistakes that we've made we've made this season we can hopefully try our best to try and push for that. And I know I'll be trying my best to get myself as fit as possible to to help the club do that. One question that I asked Beth that I also want to ask you, to me, one of my favorite things seeing is you, the players, interacting with young fans on social media, on videos that the team takes and whatnot. I can't imagine you had much of a chance to interact with too many professional women's footballers when you were a kid. What's it like getting to be that sort of a figure for young fans yeah you know it, it was different when we were growing up wasn't it you know the the women's game wasn't as big um but now it is becoming a lot bigger the improvements are massive and and you know having those younger players have someone to look up to you know like us it is is obviously really nice for them and and for us to be role models for them you know is it is such a it's a strange feeling because you kind of like, oh well, it's it's only me, but you know they, they look up to us because they want to be where we are, um, and it's a great feeling. And you know we appreciate that they, you know they they'd love the support and like you say that interaction. So we're more than willing to give it. You know we want to help people. We want to, um, you know we want to help them improve and get to where we are one day. So if we can when we can help in any way, just by you know, interacting with them, helping them, then, you know, we're more than happy to do that. It's Yeah, it's absolutely great to see. Uh, and I have one last question for you, though. Okay. Uh, I haven't bought a Villa kit in a few years for obvious reasons. <laughs> I want to get a new Villa kit, but I don't want to get one of the men's players on it. Who should I get from the ladies' side on my kit? Me. 
You? Obviously, <laughs> there's only me. one answer to this question. <laughs> you got to get me. Okay. Number nine, Wilkinson. I mean, it's a good low number. It's the kind of number you want on a kit. Exactly. It's a good number. You know, you, you, now, of, you of Wilkinson course, on the back. That. No, it's even on the back. We'd, we'd love that. Wilkinson nine. Happy days. <laughs> right. I mean, this is the convincing argument. I'll, I'll have to ask some of the other players at some point. But they right probably won't the say me. They'll probably say themselves as well. But we can fight it out, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that. We can, have, we can have a big discussion at some point. Well, yeah, we'll have I, a big debate. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we, yeah, I like this idea. We can maybe find some way to give one away on the blog, too. Uh, yeah, we'll see what out. we can do. Yeah, but, well, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out to do this. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to chat with you. That's no problem at all. Good luck with a speedy recovery. I hope it goes well, and I hope you're back on your feet and doing what you love as quickly as possible. Yeah, fingers crossed for that, and thank you very much for all your support as well. Absolutely.